Welcome back once again to the Counter Vortex with your ranter, Bill Weinberg. Ranting at you in the wee hours of March 19th, 2022, from my apartment on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And with Mariupol now besieged by the Russians, like Leningrad was besieged by the Nazis. Putin's talk about the denazification of Ukraine appears every day in a more starkly ironic light. And as Putin is waging his war of aggression in Ukraine, something very akin to fascism seems to be consolidating within Russia. And this exploitation of anti-Nazi rhetoric to justify Nazi-like behavior inevitably invokes the uh, the concept of the big lie. And the quotation, which has been widely attributed to Joseph Goebbels, Hitler's propaganda minister, which, even if the provenance of the quote has never actually been established, certainly aptly sums up the fundamental principle behind the entire Nazi propaganda apparatus. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. And the particularly frustrating thing is that Goebbels, in the supposed quotation, you know, goes on to say that the lie can only be maintained for such time as the state can shield the people from the truth. You can only get away with it in the context of a, uh, you know, totalitarian society. But uh, that's no longer the case. Now, there does seem to be a, a sort of totalitarianism, which is now being established in Russia very rapidly. And outside news sources and dissident websites are being shut down, etc., are being, being blocked by something akin to China's Great Firewall. But the maddening thing about it is that there's also people here in the United States who are falling for Putin's big lie. And today, with the uh, so-called siloing effect of social media, where we're manipulated by these algorithms which create these confirmation bias bubbles, you can actually be shielded from the truth just as effectively in a society that is ostensibly founded on the free flow of information as under a totalitarian society. Okay, let's go over some uh, news clips from recent days, from this week. Just today, March 18th, Putin had a sort of Nuremberg rally. Thousands of flag-waving Russians crammed into Moscow's central stadium during a triumphal celebration of the 8th anniversary of Russia's annexation of Crimea. Putin, breaking from his recent image as a remote figure at the end of a very long table, strode about the stage extolling the war against Ukraine as a testament to Russia's, quote, Christian values, end quote. Okay, just two days before that, Wednesday, March 16th, Putin gave a very alarming speech in which he called for a cleansing of Russia to spit out like flies the bastards and traitors. Putin declared that, quote, any people, the Russian people especially, are able to distinguish true patriots from bastards and traitors and will spit them out. I am certain that this necessary and natural self-cleansing of society 
will only strengthen our country, our solidarity, and our readiness to answer any calls to action. End quote. And as the account of this speech on Raw Story notes, human rights experts are alarmed at this clearly genocidal rhetoric. And this has been building for some time. I recently stumbled across this story from uh, September 2014 in Foreign Policy magazine, entitled License to Kill, Never Underestimate the Power of Rage by Christian Carroll, which examines um, case studies in the normalization of extremist rhetoric from around the world, including taking a look at Russia, and particularly the uh, case of Alexander Dugin, who we've discussed before, the man known as Putin's Rasputin, and the chief, you know, intellectual architect and theorist of Putin's evident project to build a, you know, a closed neo-fascist Russian empire. So this is from back in uh, 2014. Reading, no public figure in Russia has felt the need to chide university professor Alexander Dugin for his remarks advocating the genocide, quote-unquote, of Ukrainians. Perhaps because so much of what Dugan has pushed for over his long career as an ultranationalist is now being implemented by the Russian government. Indeed, Duma member Ilya Drozdov immediately doubled down. Quote, The sooner the bastard entity called Ukraine is wiped off the map, the better. End quote. All right, this was way back in, uh, in 2014 when the project of, you know, reabsorbing Ukraine back into the Russian Empire was just beginning. The piece is hyperlinked. The quote from Alexander Dugin, calling for the genocide of Ukrainians, appeared that August on VK, which is a Russian social media site, kind of like Russia's equivalent to Facebook, in Alexander Dugin's account, in which he called for the genocide of the Ukrainian quote-unquote race of bastards, quote-unquote, reading a translation of the original post, and the Russian lawmaker, member of the Duma, a Russian parliament, Ilya Drozdov, who echoed his call for wiping Ukraine off the map and calling it a bastard entity, that appeared on, uh, on Twitter. So 2014, the same year that... Um, Russia annexed Crimea, which since then has proved to be a testing ground for genocidal solutions. In 2019, Russia announced plans for a quote-unquote rehabilitation center in the annexed Crimean Peninsula to quote, re-educate Muslims, that is to say the Crimean Tartars, who were considered to be under the influence of extremist ideology quote, unquote. So obviously emulating the program of mass detention of the Uyghurs, which China has now put into place in Xinjiang. And this is a a step on what, you know, the uh, historian and scholar Robert J. Lifton calls the ladder of escalation toward a genocidal threshold. Moving from dehumanizing rhetoric to actual preparation for genocide. So one shudders to think, what awaits the Ukrainian people if, 
as fortunately looks a little bit less likely every day, Putin is successful and gets away with his military campaign to reconquer the country and reabsorb it into the Russian Empire. Meanwhile, some news from government-controlled Ukraine, which is reviled by Putin's propagandists as a Nazi state, quote-unquote. A story this week from Deutsche Welle, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, the uh, German news agency. Kiev chief rabbi, quote, Putin has united Ukrainians and Jews. Deutsche Welle speaks to Rabbi Moshe Ruven Osman, one of Ukraine's leading clerics, who recently made a passionate plea to Russians to stand up against the Kremlin and protest the current war in Ukraine. Rabbi Moshe Ruven Osman is the chief rabbi of the Brodsky Synagogue in Kiev. He recently made an impassioned video address in which he accused Russian President Vladimir Putin of committing war crimes and crimes against humanity. He called on Russians and Jews to protest and help bring an end to the war in Ukraine. Deutsche Welle spoke to him about his motivation and the reactions to his plea and his assessment of events. DW, Deutsche Welle, the Kremlin says that denazification is one of the goals of its military operation in Ukraine. What is your response? Rabbi Asman, against whom is this denazification directed? Against President Zelensky, who is Jewish? Or against opposition leader Vadim Rabinovich? Only somebody who has been brainwashed by television, which spreads all sorts of nonsense, could believe such rubbish. There is no Nazism in Ukraine. There aren't even any nationalist parties in parliament. No normal person believes this drivel. Moscow just needs a pretext to satisfy its imperial ambitions. Well, I have a few things to say about this brief quote. One is, uh, again, when he talks about people being brainwashed by television, he's talking about Russian state TV. But actually, you don't have to be brainwashed by Russian state TV. You can also be brainwashed by, um, by social media and a Facebook algorithm which is serving as an echo chamber for that same propaganda line, which is being avidly taken up by both sectors of the left and the right in this country. Okay, a second thing that needs to be said is that, uh, of course, it's an overstatement when he says there is no Nazism in Ukraine. Of course, there is Nazism in Ukraine or neo-Nazism. And in fact, you know, the notorious Azov Battalion is apparently very much involved in the defense of Mariupol at this moment. And he is not quite correct that there aren't any nationalist parties in the parliament. The right-wing nationalist party, Svoboda, holds one seat in the Rada, the Ukrainian parliament. And the party which is further to the right, right sector, about which there's been a great deal of sensationalism, holds no seats at all. So even if Rabbi Osman is overstating things, a bit, it nonetheless remains true that while fascists hold state power at the highest levels in Russia, they are a marginal minority in the Rada, the Ukrainian parliament, and operate on the fringe of the Ukrainian armed forces. The vast majority of the defenders of Ukraine, which include anarchists and anti-fascists, 
by the way, and you can see their pictures on social media if you get out of your confirmation bias bubble, are not Nazis, but on the contrary, are fighting for the defense of a democratic republic. And the fact that Rabbi Osman feels secure enough in Kiev to be able to say that no Nazism exists in Ukraine is a testament to how marginal the far right actually is there. And certainly one thing that he gets damn straight is that Putin has launched this war to satisfy his imperial ambitions, about which more to say later. And uh, the last thing I'm going to note in terms of recent news clips is a story in the Washington Post yesterday, March 17th, on Georgia's far-right Congress critter, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and her amalgam of misinformation, dishonesty, and pro-Russia apologism, deconstructing a, a video rant that she gave on Facebook. Green begins with the assertion that coverage of the invasion of Ukraine is accompanied with the drumbeat of war, quote-unquote, implying, as have people like Fox News's Tucker Carlson, that the attention being paid to Russia's incursion is simply a function of eagerness for America to enter the fray. And I'll note that this story in the Washington Post is actually itself too soft on Russia. Because what we're seeing right now in Ukraine is not an incursion. It's a full-fledged invasion and an attempt to occupy the country. And the notion that covering a war of aggression and recognizing that it is in fact a war of aggression is warmongering is again some totally Orwellian jive. And I note with deep chagrin that I am hearing the exact same rhetoric as I get from, you know, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene from many of my quote-unquote leftist friends, practically verbatim. All right, I'm going to do a little reading now from a very, very timely book, all too timely, entitled Indefensible Democracy, Counter-Revolution, and the Rhetoric of Anti-Imperialism by Rohini Hensman, hot off the presses. Actually, not quite that hot off the presses. <laughs> Published uh, three years ago, 2018, four years ago, I guess. But um, <clears throat> more relevant now than when she wrote it from uh, Haymarket Books in Chicago. And she documents relentlessly how in the ironic name of anti-imperialism, all too many on the left in the West have rallied around Russian imperialism and its various odious client states, with chapters on Syria, Iran, Iraq, Bosnia and Kosovo, and finally Russia and Ukraine. I'm going to be reading a little bit from her uh, discussion of Russia and Ukraine, and particularly her deconstruction of the lie that we hear over and over again, that the Maidan revolution of 2014 was a Nazi coup, quote, unquote. An absolutely maddening reversal of reality. And I am so grateful to Rohini Hensman, the author of this book, for breaking it down and committing a deconstruction of this propaganda to the printed page and calling out some of the uh, personages who are, you know, put up on a pedestal by so-called progressives 
who have been spreading this lying propaganda. After a discussion in the introduction, in which she breaks down a lot of the uh, denialism about the mass atrocities com- committed by the Bashar Assad regime in Syria by so-called anti-imperialists in the left, she writes, How have some anti-imperialists who, in 2003, exposed the lies about Iraqi weapons of mass destruction and stood in solidarity with the oppressed people of Iraq, ended up repeating the lies of the oppressors in Syria and vilifying the oppressed? The Syrian case is only the biggest of the humanitarian disasters that have been facilitated in this way by people who call themselves anti-imperialists. There are others, including the Russian annexation of Crimea and invasion of eastern Ukraine, where they actually support imperialism. And I'll quote, that is to say, a quote within a quote, having masterminded the coup in February against the democratically elected government in Kiev, Washington planned seizure of Russia's historic, legitimate, warm water naval base in the Crimea failed, wrote John Pilger in 2014. According to him, quote, the Russians defended themselves against threat and invasion from the West, as well as fascist forces launching attacks on ethnic Russians in Ukraine, all in quotation marks. A curiously uncritical regurgitation of Russian propaganda justifying their invasion of Ukraine from the East. As Nina Portorskaya, a socialist feminist participant in the Maidan movement, explained, anger at social and economic deterioration, quote, and here she's quoting from Ukrainian socialist and feminist Nina Potorskaya, anger at social and economic deterioration exploded after the non-ratification of the Ukraine-EU association agreement, which led to the first Maidan demonstrations toward the end of November 2013. Every two or three weeks that followed, the evolution of the political situation provoked an escalation as a growing number of people were taking over the streets, especially after special police forces began to beat and even kill demonstrators. The situation was different in the East, because Russian-speaking people, who are predominantly listening to Russian media, populate the eastern part of Ukraine, and their information about Maidan had nothing to say about the actual reasons for these protests. They heard about an uprising led by neo-Nazis, which had to be stopped by all means. Of course, the far right played a role at Maidan, but it was wrong to say that it was a right-wing movement. End quote. Indeed, the results of the Ukrainian parliamentary elections of October 2014, in which the right-wing parties fared very poorly, confirm Potarskaya's claim. And I will interject here that um, the far-right bloc, as stated earlier, really uh, doesn't even exist anymore. The far-right parties have one seat in the Rada. Returning to uh, the text of the book, Pilger fails to mention that the overwhelming majority 
in the Ukrainian parliament, and even former President Viktor Yanukovych himself, had supported the association between Ukraine and the European Union. Until the Russian government twisted their arms by suspending imports from Ukraine in August 2013, leading to the cancellation of the agreement and the subsequent Maidan protest. He seems unable, John, John Pilger, seems unable to comprehend that popular protest against elected representatives who fail to carry out their mandate or who become agents of a foreign power are not a coup, but on the contrary, evidence of a thriving democratic current in civil society. And if he thinks that Washington could have masterminded, quote-unquote, as opposed to having merely supported those massive demonstrations, he must believe that Washington is all-powerful and that most Ukrainians would passively accept being ruled from Moscow. He seems to be ignorant of the 1994 Budapest Memorandum on Security Assurances, in which Russia, in return for Ukraine giving up the world's third-largest nuclear arsenal, undertook to, quote, respect the independent sovereignty and existing borders of Ukraine, end quote, and to, quote, refrain from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of Ukraine, unquote. Undertakings which Putin violated when he annexed Crimea and invaded eastern Ukraine. According to the same logic, the 1979 overthrow by the Sandinistas of Anastasio Somoza, the democratically elected president of Nicaragua, would also have to be classified as a coup masterminded by Moscow and Havana. At the time, Pilger, along with other anti-imperialists, supported the Sandinistas. So why the double standard? It is hard not to agree with Boris Nemtsov, the Russian liberal opposition figure who was assassinated in 2015, that the real threat Ukraine posed to Putin is that it might become an example of a successful democratic revolution. If Putin feared NATO moving into neighboring countries, the last thing he would have done would be to drive them into it with military threats and aggressions, as he has done in Ukraine, where there was no question of joining NATO before the annexation of Crimea and the war in the East. What is achieved by starting that war, however, is to hamstring all efforts to stabilize Ukraine. Thank you very much, Rohini Hensman, in her book, Indefensible, Democracy, Counter-Revolution, and the Rhetoric of Anti-Imperialism, published by uh, Haymarket Books in Chicago in 2018. More relevant now than when she wrote it, that's for sure. And I would say that her book, Indefensible, is indispensable. I urge everybody to go out and get a copy. Just being me, I do have uh, a couple of points of disagreement with Rohini Hensman in her um, discussions of Syria, but maybe we'll um, explore them some other time when we uh, bring the conversation back to uh, back to Syria. I'm not going to get into it tonight. Certainly, uh, small points of uh, disagreement in the larger scheme of things. Heartily recommend her book. 
Indefensible, Democracy, Counter-Revolution, and the Rhetoric of Anti-Imperialism by Rohini Hensman. So I really urge, if I'm actually not, you know, just preaching into my own confirmation bias bubble, and I'm actually reaching anybody who needs to be reached on this question, I beseech you, get out of your confirmation bias bubble. Get away from the approved sources of the co-opted left establishment in this country, John Pilger, Noam Chomsky, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, The Nation Magazine, etc. And above all, listen to what Ukrainians have to say. I'm going to recommend one website by the group Razam for Ukraine. Razam being Ukrainian for Together, a group which is active in my neighborhood, New York's East Village also known as Little Ukraine, the largest Ukrainian community in New York City, and possibly the largest in the country, although I think there might be a larger one in Chicago. But uh, Razam for Ukraine has been one of the, uh, the key groups which has been organizing weekly demonstrations up at Times Square against the Russian invasion. Lots of very good information on their website, Razomforukraine.org, R-A-Z-O-M-F-O-R, Ukraine.org. I don't agree with everything they say. They are calling for a no-fly zone for Ukraine. I frankly feel ambivalent about that. I understand the counter-argument that it could lead to direct military escalation between Russia and the West, which could have unthinkable consequences. But I do think that we need to have a discussion an honest discussion about the question. I'm merely telling the Ukrainians, drop dead. Your deaths are an acceptable price for world peace, such as it is. Does not strike me as a very courageous or principled position either. So I think we need to have an honest discussion about this question. In any event, I'll recommend more sources on future podcasts. But do check out Razam for Ukraine and listen to what the Ukrainians are actually saying instead of talking over them. And also, please do check out my own website, countervortex.org, where I have been assiduously blogging the war in Ukraine and surrounding global politics. And once again, all of the claims that I have made in this podcast are documented on my website. Every claim that I made on this podcast is documented and hyperlinked at countervortex.org. So please check it out and make an effort to get out of your propaganda bubble, my fellow lefties. This has been Bill Weinberg with the Counter Vortex. Check us out online at countervortex.org. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash countervortex. Join the Counter Vortex, join the Resistance, and rant on you next time.